Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast, where we talk to industry leaders, especially team leaders in real estate, on how they grow their teams, how they grow their revenue, and more importantly, how they grow themselves. Today, I have the honor of having a repeat guest, Rob Kamadari. Rob, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mark. Good to see you today. What's kind of interesting is, you know, when things are going great in the market, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, everything is hunky-dory. And But when there's an inflection point in the market and all of a sudden there's turbulence, that's where real leadership comes up because the same old stuff doesn't work. So what are you seeing in the marketplace? Well, first of all, you talked if I can make this comment, it's kind of funny. You said rising tide lifts all boats, right? But when that tide goes out, you'll find out who's been swimming naked. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. I'll tell you one interesting Canada fact, because I'm a Canadian. We got to like, yay, Canada. They've got the Bay of Funday. It's in uh, eastern Canada. Mm-hmm. They have the largest tide delta, 60 feet from high tide to low tide. And you can actually walk out the seafloor for a while when the tide goes out. I've never seen it, but that's on my bucket list to go to that part of Canada. I think maybe Nova Scotia. I'm sure someone's going to write up and say, no, it's Newfoundland, you bastard. But uh <laughs> Interesting stuff. So we're at an inflection point. When did you first notice that things were changing and what kind of impact is that having on the market? Well, I'm going to say things are changing probably about three months ago is what I was why I started noticing things. And one of the first indications were or was, you know, we were in a market for two years and, and let's say you had the right house. You think it's the right price. It's a good location. You're getting 50 showings and 20 offers in three days. Right. Well, so then when you put a house on the market and you think it's priced right, good location and uh, a good price or a good price, good location and all that. But uh, and then uh, you only get 20 showings and four offers. And I say only that's not a bad thing. No, but not at you, all. See change, you see that change or that shift. You're like, oh, something's coming down the pike because I'm like, this house was awesome. It should, I should have got 50 showings. I should have had 15 offers. So that was the first indication that started happening. Yeah, I'm going to say about three months ago, I saw that. So then, what's, I guess the, answer, the impact it's having. So it's just, it's so what we really have to be aware of as agents is the conversations we're having with our clients. Now there's two different conversations. You have a conversation with a seller and you have a conversation with a buyer. So now I'm talking. To, can I get into that? What's those? The of course, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm having a conversation with a seller, and and here's here's part of the the tough transition for a listing agent right now. You're going from a hot hot market to a so a relatively strong market. So it's just not as much, it's still not as much inventory, but some inventory will increase, but the buyers are falling out of market because you got the interest rates going up. So the public is kind of behind us. They're finding out all this stuff through the media after we've already been in it. And so right. now I have to have a conversation with you, Omar, and say, hey, you know what? Things are leveling off right now and let's make sure we price it right. And so in my mind, I might think pricing a little lower than the norm might be a good thing to do. 
But you, the homeowner, have seen it on the news and you've heard it through other people. Man, oh, the market's white hot. You're going to get 20 offers. You're going to have 100 people walk through your house. So I have to tactfully have that conversation with you that you believe enough in me that I got your back and that you might be making a mistake if you price it too high. So I've been of the mindset for the last couple of years is price it as close to right as you can, even consider a little, a little bit below what you perceive the market to be. And that, like, as you said, the rising tide lifts all boats, right? So let the market rise, raise the price. Let the market take it up. Absolutely. Because if you do price it uh, lower than you should, the market forces will go, oh my God, that's a deal. And more people will come and they'll outbeat each other. It'll go up. But if you price it too high, if you get an offer, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But if you don't, the market is speaking also, but it's easy to do analytically. But if you're the homeowner and you've already got the next house planned and you got the families ready, it's an emotional issue. So you have to be a psychiatrist as well as a financial advisor, as well as a real estate agent to fulfill that role. So how do you balance all three? <laughs> well, I tell people I'm more, I'm 70% psychologist and 30% realtor. That's what I tell people. So, you know, so balancing the three, it's like, you got to know when negotiating, right? You're negotiating. You're always negotiating with yourself, with, with your clients and with other people, buyers and inspectors and all that stuff. You're your family, your kids, you're always negotiating, right? So you have to, you have to be skilled and learning how to ask the right questions of, and we're just talking from a seller's perspective right now. We didn't even hit buyers yet. So how to have a conversation with people to make that, to, to help them understand what's really going on. So it's about asking the right questions. So if I just go in haphazardly on a listing appointment and I don't know who I'm speaking to, are they aesthetic? Are they pragmatic? Are they really emotional about the house? Like where, where are they psychologically with the sale of this home? Are they attached or unattached to it? So it's important. It's vitally important to know what you're walking into. So you can have that conversation from a number standpoint and from a psychological standpoint, if that makes sense. Now, it's only two, but... The, right. So let's go to the uh, other side, the buyer side. What's going on there? So now I'm an agent and I'm representing you as a buyer. And you're you're thinking as the general public's thinking, man, I, I'm going to have to bid way above list price now because the market's been 15, 20 offers on a house. And, and I do I really have a shot? So it's my job as the buyer agent to maybe reach out to the other real estate agent and get the story. Try your best to get the story. What do they need? Is it a rent back needed? Or, you know, and you can ask, and I really doesn't have to tell you this, but you can ask how many offers do you have? Um, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to give out a price, but there's nothing wrong with asking how many offers do you have? So if we're in that market, great location, great price, great condition, and you've been on the market for three days and you've had one offer. Hmm. What does that tell me? Okay. So you have, so Mr. And Mrs. Buyer, let's have a conversation with this. You're competing against one, but it only takes one. Did they get that offer the first day? If they got it the first day, my guess is, and my bet is that they probably went at list price or above because that's what everybody's been doing for the last several years. So, okay, so how do we how do we beat that? Do we have an escalation clause? Do we offer to pay um, pay a free, give them a free rent? I mean, uh, if we're buying, give them a free rent back. Do that, or do we offer to pay their transfers and recordation charges? There's so many different ways you can tactfully make an offer because the, the, the scary part is if you feel like you go too high, is it going to appraise? And if you're in a market where, okay, you just bid the highest price and it might not appraise, well, there's a gap here. Can I offer protection to the seller as the buyer that says, if it underappraises, what can I cover in cash for the difference? So we have to be strategic. 
All right, so help me understand this. My understanding is, and is probably wrong, that even though you're working with a buyer, you're not their agent. You're the agent of the person who owns the house, right? Your no. allegiance is to the homeowner, right? No, no. The only way, the only time my allegiance is to the homeowner is if I don't have a buyer's agreement with my client. Do you understand? So, so okay. for instance, if, if you're selling your house, right, and you're represented by a listing agent, and I take Susan out to show houses, and I don't get a represent uh, a buyer's agency agreement with her, then I really represent you. That's called sub-agency. Oh, okay. okay. But I'd be a fool not to get a buyer's agreement with that buyer. So it's and once you get a buyer's agreement, you're their agent, and you're going to try and get the best deal possible for them. I represent them, and I'm going to, I'm going to get the best deal possible for them. Makes perfect sense. Just as the pandemic came into reality, the first market to die a horrible, painful death that was stabbed to death was the real estate market. And every realtor that I know probably panicked beyond belief. But within a few months, that whole thing turned around. And I've been talking to industry veterans that have been around for 30, 40 years in this industry and said, this is the first or the second best market we've ever seen. So on the opening months of the pandemic, when everything looked like it was lost, as a leader, what were you thinking? And how did you keep the team together till all of a sudden it was like, oh, wait a minute. This is like a freaking amazing market because it turned around. It was dead first. So walk me through that. How did you handle that? What were you thinking? And what were you telling your team? So it, when it first hit, my mindset was like, okay, we just got hit with a blizzard. We're going to be off for a week. I didn't know. Nobody knew what to expect. Nobody right. knew this would be a two-year endeavor, two-year journey, whatever the, however you want to phrase it. But so I was like, okay, we're in a, we're into a blizzard, cool down, just let's shut, wrap your mind all around this thing. So for me, I really saw a two-week dead period, it was two weeks. But there's still people that needed to sell. There were still people that move and relocating, even though COVID was going on. So the, the, really, you had to double down in that in that time frame. It's double down on the contact that you're making with your clients. So that means, okay, you're home and nobody's going out. Nobody's on the road. Well, instead of making 10 calls today, let's make 20. Let's reach mm -hmm. out to our clients. Let's see if they're doing okay. Let's see if, like what I did, I, I went and called uh, Meals on Wheels. So I, I went out and, and I started helping people buy groceries. I'm like, okay, they need help. Go out and be of help to somebody. You don't have to broadcast that to anybody, but go out, be of help somebody, but call your clients. Hey, do you need me to run to the drugstore for you? How are you doing on your prescriptions? How are you doing on your groceries? I'm happy. I got my mask. I'm happy to go out and get your groceries for you. If they're in a position where they're afraid to go out and be in public with everybody. So when you're doing that, you're building, you're, God, you're building credibility, you're building trust, you're building loyalty with your clients. So it's time to double down. And right. we had 2020 was our best year ever in that time. And then 2021 was better than 2020. Isn't that amazing? Because I think there was like a probably a three month period where there was uncertainty. Then all of a sudden it was like a super hot market, but you're seeing it a certain way. And you've got team members that may have seen it the same way, but may not have, may have been more stressed out or panicked because they need to borrow your trust in the market because they may not have it. So how do you instill that? How do you get that? So they kind of stay calm. Well, first, stop listening to the news, right? <laughs> Turn the news channels off. That's, that's number one. But two, you got to put the good stuff in. You got to keep. And obviously, when you're driving down the road at night and no one's on the on the road, it's like a ghost town. You're like, well, what the heck just happened here? You know, did the nuclear war start or something? So it's 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 easy not. I mean, it's easy to panic, hard not to panic. So. All, all I kept saying is just keep keep the right mindset. Keep the right mindset. This too shall pass. 
but keep doing what you do best. Be you, reinvest in yourself with your time, read good books, listen to good YouTube things, keep keep at the positive stuff, the positive stuff, the positive stuff, and 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 stay true to yourself. And we look, we're in a we're in a technology-driven world, and the way technology has improved over the last so many years, we had ways to communicate. We had Zoom, obviously, and most people got Zoomed out. But we had Zoom. We had you still have your telephone. You had other, whether Microsoft Teams or some of these other, you know, whatever, the StreamYard, some of these other ways that you could communicate. So I was doing buyer appointments on Zoom. I was doing listing appointments on Zoom. We even did um, we did open houses. We did virtual open houses. So because people weren't allowed in other, other people's houses, so I go out with my phone and I do a virtual open house and I you know do a Facebook live and it's just the way you know you had to communicate in a different way. You had to learn to adapt and improvise and stay positive in the process. So my job was the psychology of it all is, you know, keep people positive, keep them positive, keep them positive and just stay the course. And, you know, this too shall pass. Words to live by. This too shall pass on the positive side and the negative side in terms of when people get really lazy, like it doesn't matter what the business is, leads are coming in, it's fat times, I can just chill out. And one thing the leaders do and the winners do is they keep on doing the basics. They're still prospecting, they're still hunting, they're still doing the hard work every single day, whether it's a a phenomenal market or a really tight market. And that habit of doing those behaviors makes you a winner across time and significantly higher than everyone else. Oh, yeah. You made me think of something. Uh, You ever watch the movie Hitch? I did. Yeah. So you got Dr. Love, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Will Smith. Um, Will Smith. But Kevin, uh, I forget that guy's last name. Yeah. uh, the guy that wanted to dance with the girl, right? You know, and he wanted to hook up with her. And remember, he wanted to do all the crazy dances and stuff, right? Yeah. And Will Smith said, look, you got to stay right here. You got to stay right here. You got to stay right here. And so I, I equate that to the real the real estate individual and you, like what you just said, the activities. You got to stay true to the activities. So if you could picture this, picture one of those chocolate fondue fountains, right? And it's three levels. So there's there's four stages of growth or four levels of growth in, in our lives, survival, stability, success, and significance. The first is survival. We all have an innate ability to survive. We all have right. that ability to do so, right? So let's take that out of the picture. So now you got stability, success, and significance. And so the stability part is is flooding that top bowl with your your activities, whether it's a call, whether it's a coffee, whether it's a party, whether it's a note, seeing people. That's the, that's the stability bowl. And what happens is we get a deal and we stop doing the activities and we start spending the money. Oh, let me go get a new car. Let me go get a new suit. And when we do that, we got away from the activity and that top bowl dries up. So then we got to do it again. Flood, flood the stability, flood the stability, flood the stability. Feast and, and famine. We, what's that? Feast and famine for a lot of solo operators, no matter what the business is, they're either uh, starving, in which case they work really hard and they get a deal and then they don't continue to do the work. So they starve again. So it's a cycle of staying on the edge. Right. So they they get two deals now, then they got a little bit of success and then they want to save the world and create a foundation. And meanwhile, it took their focus away from the stability. So the idea is, as, as Will Smith said, stay right here, stay right here, stay right here. And as you keep flooding the activities, it overflows into success. And what do you do there? You stay right up top in stability, and then the success bowl overflows into significance. And that's why it's so important to just stay true to whatever activities you're doing to generate those leads. Absolutely. So, Rob, how do you stay positive? Like, what are you doing to feed yourself to stay at the top of your game? 
Well, I'm a, a personal growth junkie, as, as you might know. I think you do know that. <laughs> so I do. I've been reading, reading and studying this stuff for 31 years. Um, and it's you got to keep putting the good stuff in. So I read every day. I'll listen to a couple audio pieces every day, and I might watch a YouTube video every day all about, you know, this this good stuff. And there's this guy I know that wrote a book about awareness, and uh, I like to uh, – sometimes I read that stuff <laughs> if I'm allowed to do the plug there. Of course but you I, are. What's the name of the book again? It's called Better Than You Think, and it's subtitles to, to help people develop awareness to live a more fulfilling life. Nice. So sometimes I'll go back and I'll read my own stuff. And uh, dear listeners, we'll put the link to Amazon where the book is uh, on the show notes. Cool. So anyway, so what do I do to stay positive? That's the stuff, you know. And and what else, the other thing is you go out and encourage others because sometimes like we, we make this whole – a lot of people make this whole life thing conditional. Like, oh, I need, her to, I need her to love me or I need him to pay attention to me. Well, we're asking for that first. That's like take, take, take. But if we want a hug, we need to give a hug first. And then Absolutely. we'll give a hug if, if we want to be loved, we got to go love first. If we want to help some, if we want to help, we got to go help somebody first. So in this time frame, like I said, I went and called Meals on Wheels. Go find somebody to help. Go somebody, find somebody that needs encouragement. And then you get refueled in the process. A woman called me up in desperation about three days ago, I sent a text, Umar, you helped me so many years ago and she doesn't have any money. And I helped her back then. And she's like, I, I can't get out of bed and I don't want them to hospitalize me for uh, anxiety or depression. And so I said, you know, got to come down, go for a walk and tell me about three pretty things that you've seen. And then she texted back. I saw a butterfly. I saw this and I saw that. And I think one of the things that she needs to do is go help some people. And it could be Meals on Wheels or it could be a senior center and just go hang out there and just uh, be of service because there's something so life-affirming. When you help other people for no agenda other than to help them, you certainly help them, but you feed your soul, which is like a freaking amazing gift. One of my favorite quotes that I heard, and I love this, is the love I give you is secondhand. I got to feel it first. Wow. Who, who, who was that? I love that. I don't know, but I'm going to say Umar said it, but I stole there it from somebody else. <laughs> I heard it from Umar. Can you repeat that for me, please, if you don't mind? The love I give you is secondhand. I got to feel it first. Well, that's that's awesome. You reminded me of a, a book I read from uh, Wayne Dyer, and uh, he says in his book, I can't remember which book it was, but uh, he says the the giver in an act of kindness often receives the same, if not more, than the recipient themselves. Absolutely, it's basically the same thing you said. It's the exact same thing you said. When I was about eighteen years old, if you gave me a gift like a Tesla, which you know you should do right now, Rob, uh, I could really use one. Or if you gave me a gift, I would like, oh my God, no, you shouldn't have. It's too much, and I would do bullshit like that. And a wise guy took me aside and said, Umar, please don't do that. When someone gives you a gift, just say thank you, because yeah. they it robs them of the act of giving when you do that. So just accept it graciously. You don't have to say anything other than thank you. And worse to live by. Because when people give you a gift, it makes them feel good. And who are you to you, take that away from it. them? We deprive people of the opportunity to make them feel, to have them feel good for giving. And we deprive yeah. it. And there's some people I meet, uh, you know, the clients that come in that will love doing things for other people, but feel super uncomfortable if, if someone does something for them. And that's more about an internal belief system. But I think what we need to do is, if there was one word that I really like to focus on is intent. Mm -hmm. If my intent for doing something nice for you, Rob, is that you're beholding to me or I look like a good guy or any BS like that, A, you can sense it and B, the reward I get is minimal at best. 
But when right. my intention is just to make Rob, hey, this would be perfect for Rob. It'll make him feel great. And then the reward I get from that is huge too, because it's a, a selfless, generous, beautiful act as opposed to a transactional thing. Well, how pure are your intentions, right? Yeah, of course. And also in real estate, when you're helping clients and you truly want to be a helper and help them find their best dream house for their family, it's a different vibe than another realtor that's like, I want to make a commission. Well, yeah. So like you said it before, two seconds ago, back, are, are you working transactionally or are you working relationally? Yeah. The, the, like you said, the, trans, the transaction person can be sniffed out. It can, you can smell them a mile away. And I know you might not get it right away, but you can smell them. And the relational person is somebody who's willing to do the unexpected extras, who's willing to show that they care for you. So that's, that's so true what you just said there. Brilliant. So Rob, what makes you happy? Huh. That is, that's a great question. So I like seeing other people happy. I like seeing other people um, succeed. I like seeing other people like, you know, it's funny when you ask that question, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, you know, happy or feeling joy, because some people say they're the same. Some people tell you they're different. So, you know, happiness is an external event. Like if the Ravens just scored a touchdown, I'm happy. Right. But when, when I teach my kids something over and over again, and he doesn't get it and finally gets it, that brings me a sense of joy. Right. So, so I, I love seeing like when my team gets something, uh, you know, I've been coaching and teaching for a while and bang, they get it. Does it make me happy from an external sense? Yeah, but it brings me joy because, you know, it's like that, that work, that, that continuous, relentless work paid off. So obviously that, you know, I, I, nature, I love, 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 love being in nature. That makes me happy. That certainly makes me happy. Saw something beautiful yesterday. I was just going for a walk and there was a little kid, might have been like six or five, on her bicycle, two-wheeler, on the sidewalk. And behind her, I couldn't tell how far behind her, was her mom. And the mom had uh, a look of pride and happiness watching her daughter do the bike. And I was walking up. I could see the kid and the mom behind, but I couldn't tell the distance between them. And that brought me such joy, just seeing that beautiful scene a mother being joyous and proud of her daughter. And uh, so happiness is everywhere. You just need to pay attention. And most of us are focusing on the darkness and that's what you see. So stop doing that, dear listeners and viewers. Yeah, well, it's, the it, joy, it's there. It's there. And, and so when, when we're going through that dark thing or focusing on a dark time or focusing on a dark experience or scarcity, let's just use the word scarcity. Whenever we're focused on scarcity, because scarcity means we don't have enough of whatever. So, Go back to gratitude. Go back to gratitude. Always go back to gratitude. Be grateful for what you have and not angry or jealous or envious of what you don't have. And, and listen, I struggle with this too. I still struggle with this. And I have to coach myself. When when I find myself thinking negative, thinking scarcity, I'm like, Rob, what do you have that you can be grateful for? You know, I get out of bed and put my two feet on the ground. I can see the beauty outside. I can breathe fresh air. That's, that's I got a family, a loving family. So that, that's stuff to be grateful for. So I'm going to screw this quote up. And also, again, I don't know who said this, but it was about priests, like Catholic priests specifically. And it was something about, you know, if you don't have doubt in your heart about your faith on occasion, you're not doing it right. Because mm -hmm. the whole thing is the universe tests you and then it's overcoming those doubts. And it's not like I got a doubt and I'm a bad person. It's the people that are like, without a doubt without thinking, just follow is not as useful as a priest who basically is going, you know, what the hell is God out yeah. there? And it's just that testing of the boundaries helps you get more faith as opposed to just blindly following. So yeah, you got to look at 
got to keep active to be grateful and uh, positive. So Umar, how do you, how do you, how would you suggest testing that faith? What does that look like? I know, I know you're interviewing me, but it's a question I have for you. <laughs> yeah. So I think what you really need to pay attention to is your mind will lie. Uh-huh. It's so powerful. It thinks so many things that humans are meaning-making machines. And one of the things we do better than anything else is rationalize things. And uh-huh. so the thing you need to pay attention to is the feeling in your body. So when a parishioner, unless you're a priest, a parishioner is going through a really tough time, you can say the words of comfort. But if you feel this anxiety within you or doubt about what you're saying and what you're really believing, the clue is in the feeling. And then later on, maybe not at that moment, later on, what I tell people to do is if you felt uncomfortable here is to just put your hand there and say hello to that feeling and say, what are you trying to teach me? And it says, you could have done more or whatever. It won't give you the absolute answer, but it'll give you another avenue of area that you need to follow within you to figure out what the barriers are between you and God or you and the truth. Because if you listen to your mind, it'll rationalize everything. And so pay attention to your body is my best advice to anybody. Yeah, I think also like when I think of that and asking you a question, I'm like, okay, how do I test my faith? Okay, so I'm, I have doubt about doing something. Well, instead of going diving into the 10-foot side of the pool, put your feet into the, the baby side and try yep. something small. And if you succeed at that, I'm like, oh, great. Okay, now just get a little more uncomfortable, go a little deeper, go a little deeper, go a little deeper. So there's two types of people, the ones that gradually go in and the ones that just jump in. <laughs> and going back to the feeling thing, so when you get that doubt, I would almost go there. It's like, oh, I've got this doubt. What are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to help me with? And it'll say, well, I think this deal could be dangerous. What about it is dangerous? And then all of a sudden that inquiry illuminates or reveals what's going on. And then once you've got that done, you can easily walk into the paddling side of the pool and just uh, go for it. So last question, Rob, is this. What's one technique, mind hack, or technique that you use to be more productive, be more successful, be more at peace, be happier, be sexier? Like, what's the one piece of advice that someone could use right away that would help improve their lives? Well, I mean, Umar, every morning, I mean, I do I have a routine every morning. But one of the things I, I do, I make sure I do every day is called meditate, contemplate, whether it's two minutes or 15 or 20 minutes, an hour, whatever you like. But you got, we got to quiet down. We got to quiet our minds. And when we quiet our minds and whether it's get to a place of no thing or nothing, uh, we allow the good stuff to come in. So all these distractions flying through our head all, all day, every day, 50, 60, 7,000 thoughts, whatever they say it is, um, we got to be, be able to, to, to quiet the mind and receive this good stuff. So if there's one thing I would certainly tell you is if, some, if people can get into the practice of you know meditating or just quieting their mind for a couple minutes, 15 minutes, whatever – well worth it. I know there's people out there that don't buy into that, don't meditate, don't feel like they need it. That's okay. But figure something out to quiet your mind. Like for me, if I don't want to meditate, I could go in my garden, right? That's right. therapeutic. You know, it's so another form of meditation. Right. Exactly. So, so anyway. I just want to let the listeners and viewers know that to my knowledge, nobody in the history of humanity has died while they were meditating. <laughs> Even no, if you quiet your mind for five minutes or 10 minutes, you're not going to die and uh, you still got the rest of the 24 hours left to go do whatever you need to do. So do yourself a favor and take that moment of contemplation. Yes, I totally agree. Rob, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Always a great conversation and uh, look forward to our next one. Thank you, Mar. Appreciate being here. Thanks everybody for listening and uh, it's great to talk to you. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 